the Bandroom Podcast is proudly supported by Kaleidoscope Adventures. Kaleidoscope Adventures is a full-service student trip planner with more than 26 years of inspiring student travel. Dylan and I have had positive experiences on school music trips, so we both know how much these meaningful opportunities contribute to students' musical development and create lasting memories. Kaleidoscope Adventures specializes in organizing unique trips to over 40 student-friendly destinations. If you're planning a student trip, you can count on the Kaleidoscope Adventures professionals to collaborate with you to organize the perfect education or performance tour. When you're ready to plan your next adventure, visit KaleidoscopeAdventures.com. That's KaleidoscopeAdventures.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. And we are back in action. Woohoo! Oh, yeah, this is very exciting. Uh, you know, life things happen, and mm-hmm. we had to take a little break um, from the podcast for a little while. Um, so we thank you so much for your patience and your support uh, during that time. But we're really happy to be back, and um, especially today, because Kate and I are celebrating our one-year co-host anniversary today. Yay! It's not really within one year, but we'll we'll just use this day to celebrate yeah. it. Yeah. 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 No, I think it's 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 been a great year uh, working with you, Kate. Um, it's, it's, it makes my life a lot easier in the intros, not talking <laughs> oh, to <good>. myself. <laughs> yeah, it's been wonderful. I can't believe it's been a year. At the same time, I can't believe it's o- only been a year. You know, time is a very strange, uh, strange concept. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, looking back at the episodes that we've recorded so far together and all the guests that we've had the opportunity to talk to, it's it's really humbling and it's really exciting, you know, just to kind of relive all of that and reflect on how um much of a positive experience this whole thing has been so far and look forward to all the stuff that we're building together it's going to be great yeah, yeah it's great and uh and we thought the best way to celebrate this day is to do an episode with just the two of us so this is kind of a hanging with Dylan and Kate 2.0 I'm calling it uh, because we did one of these episodes just early on just the two of us we can make a tra- okay, I'm done. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, if you're looking for some, you know, some big wig from the band world, not that the two of us aren't, but <laughs> um, uh, go somewhere else because it's just going to be yeah. yeah, it's just going to be Kate and I answering um, some questions from our community. And once again, I thought maybe we would have to make up some questions, but. You delivered. You delivered, community, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of questions to go through. But before yep. we uh, tell you about any of those questions, could you please do us a favor? And what might that favor be, Kate? Well, if you, find listener, could go to uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast and make sure that you've subscribed to us, the Vandroom Podcast. Give us a like, a follow, and 
a rating and a review if you feel so inclined. It would be really, really great um, to get more reviews up so that other people can see them and then consider listening to uh, the podcast. It really helps us grow our audience. Um, and thank you so much to everybody who has already done that. It really mm -hmm. does help us out so much, um, both in the analytics side of things and also just for us to know that people are out there listening and enjoying the content that we're creating. Do so people love thank us? you all for your support. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people like us. That, that being said, <laughs> I kind of want to apologize for my big rant last episode about people leaving reviews. <laughs> it was a little direct. I understand. But no one has done it. No one has. No, it didn't mean anything to any of you. Come on. Go leave us a review. It would be a great. It would be a great help. Love Dylan. Um, and other yes. than that, if, if, if you want to support in a financial way and get some extra bonus content, you could become a patron of the Bandroom Podcast through Patreon, uh, where you can have access to bonus episodes with our guests, as well as extra other things such as uh <laughs> hangs with uh, kate and i where we'll we'll be on the zoom the zoomy zoom uh, and you can ask mm -hmm. us questions or just hang out uh, whatever you want to do and uh other bonus things such as coffee mugs and uh t-shirts so go stickers. check it out at oh and stickers which i don't think okay. i've added to it but hey it will be there um they so exist. you can learn <laughs> they, they, they yeah they are in existence um, so you can learn more about that if you visit patreon.com slash bandroompod. That's patreon.com slash bandroompod for more. Um, other than that, we're going to dive headfirst into these questions. And let me tell you what a plethora of topics that we are going to explore today. <laughs> um, if you like band, we're going to be talking about band, obviously. But yeah, there's some... Uh, there's some doozies there that we decided. And also, I feel like we should apologize. Not every question made it in because maybe we answered it yeah. on a previous episode or um, I'm tiring of. Or we just wanted to make sure it. that we don't talk at you for like two hours, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, well, I, I will start things off um, with the first question on our big list of questions, which was if you could restart your band journey which instrument would you choose and why? And I love that we're starting with this question because when we have guests, we always start with, you know, how did your musical journey begin? And so we're starting with this band journey question, mm -hmm. but imagining another world where, you know, we're not the trumpet player and bass clarinet player. We are right. newbies. A world where I asked Dr. Strange so, to fix something and now I'm there's multiverse and I, it's a different <laughs> Dylan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, a different timeline. I just finished watching um, Spider-Man. Oh, nice, nice. But yeah, why don't you go first? What What would you choose if you could start it all again? Well, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin this question, but I'm not going to even say a band instrument. Um, Kate <laughs> and I both have discussed previously on the episode um, that we're failed horn players. Um, not failed, <laughs> but we ended up not becoming horn French horn players. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I currently. Uh, play the trumpet is my main instrument. Um, but I would say if, if for some, uh, I'm in some other dimension, uh, where I had to play a different instrument, it would not be a band instrument. Actually, I am in love with the organ, like the big old oh. pipe organ, not like a, yeah. not the one that, um, who was talking about it. There was some like champion electric organist that we've interviewed. 
Yeah, you know, a couple of the guests that we've talked yeah, to have anyway. been organ players. In, yeah, yeah, anyway. But I mean the one that you need the shoes for and, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Because there's just, there's it, it, be, it happened in my undergrad because, you know, as probably most universities, there's a chapel. And that chapel is usually the dedicated practice space for the organ majors. But um, we would have choir rehearsals in there occasionally. And I would hear... Uh, one of my dear teachers, Dr. Gail Little H. Martin, um, playing the organ. And I just was, I've always been astounded by the repertoire that they have and mm-hmm. um, like the power of the instrument, but also the vulnerability of the instrument. Like it has all these things. It even has a trumpet stop. So um, <laughs> yep. there's all these options. And then also, um, I don't know if it's true. I always thought I was an introvert. Um, so the idea of just like, being completely alone in this giant space making sound it was always very attractive to me so yeah. <laughs> that's that's my answer to that question an organist also all those church gigs yeah 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 i think so, the organ uh, is super cool and you get to play like you know so many different roles as an organist um you yeah. know epic bass lines that you have to do with your feet and some crazy uh, improvisations and harmony and yeah there's so much stuff that you can do <laughs> have you have you ever tried dylan have you ever played an organ before yes i have been allowed to sit at the bench and try to reach the pedals and all that stuff oh good <laughs> um, yeah i'm like can i just do like can i just do that they're like yeah so we, they yeah. pull all the stops for me Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I had a strange amount of friends that were organists. One's a lawyer now, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, but she did her master's in organ at McGill and then ended up oh, becoming cool. a lawyer after. Crazy. Cool. It's always really interesting to look at, like, people in other professions that have musical backgrounds. Um, yeah, which anyway, one? we That'll digress. So you would have been an organist. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, if you had to restart your band journey, what instrument would you yeah. choose and why? Well, okay. I'm still a little bit attached to the French horn because I like that was one of the instruments that I was super, super interested in when I was first starting out when I was like 11 or whatever. And I actually, okay, I have to mention that um, just last week, my mom was going through some old, you know, boxes of stuff at my parents' house. And she came across um, a drawing that I made uh, where I drew like a cartoon I don't know, version of myself playing all these brass instruments. And for each one, there was like a little thought bubble above my head um, that I drew in like what I was thinking (laughs) about it. And so I drew the French horn and I must say it was pretty good. It had the, the, you know, the loop-de-loop and all that. Um, And the thought bubble, (laughs) the thought bubble just said. It was a double horn, was it? I guess, I guess so. Yeah, this was, this would have been around the exact time that, band was starting at my school like it was in Mm. the beginning of the school year the year that I started band um yeah so the thought bubble for the French horn um just said wow this is cool and then I drew like the tuba and the thought bubble just said this is really heavy (laughs) and the trombone one it's hilarious I should like if, if this was a video podcast I would pull up the graphic because it just shows like you know, a little stick figure arm. And then the trombone slide is like way farther than the arm. And and the thought bubble just says, I can't reach. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that's what I thought about all the, all the brass instruments after seeing them in music class. But the the funny thing about this story is that this drawing was in my math book. So 
um, just goes to show how much attention I was paying in math <laughs> class and where my, where my mind was. Same. Same. <laughs> yeah. Math was not my uh, strong yeah. suit. So, so no, you'd play the horn um, still? But any, anyway, uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just, I really love writing for the horn. So I, I still kind of, there's a part of me that wishes that I played the mm-hmm. French horn. Um, but I think just to change it up and come up with a different answer, I think in another life, I would love to be a percussionist. Um, I think that there's just like endless possibilities within the percussion section. Um, you know, like playing mallet instruments, you get to play the melody and chords if you're doing four mallet marimba stuff and it's really beautiful. Mm. And then there's like, you know, really, really cool textural stuff with auxiliary percussion. And then sometimes there's these epic moments where you, you know, get a, you have to wait all these rests forever and ever. And then you get this epic bass drum hit or something like that. And um, I, I think it would be a lot of fun, a lot of responsibility mm. and I get bored easily. So I think I would have been well suited to the versatility and all of that of being a percussionist. Yeah, until you get like a piece that has like three parts and you're the person who has to sit out. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I didn't mean to be such a demi downer on that one, but percussion's cool. I try as a composer to avoid those situations. Like I, I try to make yeah. interesting. I'm thinking uh, intrinsic light, a lot of percussion parts in that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, too many. One might argue, but yeah. <laughs> well, when I when I tr- tried to do it, that was actually one of the pieces, the last pieces I did before the pandemic. Like we we didn't get to mm-hmm. do it, and my little co- mm-hmm. my little college yeah, went ensemble. We had like yeah. four or five percussion. Like we didn't have enough. I know, but then I write pieces with like three or four. That's why I'm friends with you and said, hey, what and, can I leave out? Yeah, and then someone's like, oh, well, we have like eight percussionists. What can we do with the rest of them? And you know, so it's. There's always somebody who's not yep. going to be happy with it. But anyway, there we go. That's yeah, true. thank you. <laughs> anyway, great piece. Great piece. Great instrument choice. And now a word from our sponsor. You know, Kate, I often think back to my time at music camp and how important that time was not only in my growth as a musician, but as a person. I feel the same way. My first time performing original music in front of a big audience was at a music camp, and many of the people I met at camp are still friends and colleagues of mine today. 2022 marks the 60th anniversary of the Interprovincial Music Camp. That's right, 60 years of being Canada's most comprehensive music camp. IMC offers specialized camps for all levels of band, orchestra, choir, musical theater, rock, jazz, and songwriting. Students can learn from faculty that include members of major symphony orchestras, Juno and Grammy Award winners, touring musicians, and music educators. Also, new this year is IMC's Beginning Band Camp, open to campers ages 9 to 14. Located at the beautiful Camp Manitou on Manitowabing Lake, located in the heart of Muskoka Perry Sound region of Ontario, Canada, IMC facilities are second to none. With fully equipped cabins, outstanding meals, with one of the chefs dedicated to preparing meals for those with specific dietary needs. IMC is unique in that it is centered around music, but also offers a true camp experience, including traditional activities such as swimming, sailing, water skiing, beach volleyball, and much more, as well as evening programs for the campers each night after the faculty concert. IMC provides young musicians with comprehensive and exceptional musical training with faculty members who are some of Canada's finest performers and educators. 
some of which include past bandroom guest, conductor, clinician, and educator Colin Clark, Dr. Colleen Richardson from Western University, Dominic Desotel, Principal Clarinet of the Canadian Opera Company, Sarah Jeffrey, Principal Oboe of the Toronto Symphony, and Vanessa Freilich, Associate Principal Trombone of the Toronto Symphony. They all bring a wealth of teaching experience and performing skills and are passionate about sharing their love of music with young musicians. Don't miss the opportunity to grow, be inspired, have fun, and make memories that will last a lifetime. Stay connected by following them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at imc.ca. That's imc.ca. To learn more about how you or someone you know can celebrate 60 years of the Interprovincial Music Camp, visit campimc.ca. That's campimc.ca. to our our next question because we got like nine more of these Mm -hmm. (laughs) but some of them are short uh maybe this one even this one comes to us from a past uh brp guest composer educator extraordinaire nicole puno she uh asks us peanut butter smooth or crunchy and it's a (laughs) special note (laughs) that she asked this question she has a piece called peanut butter jam so it's it's this is it's good that it came from her um so i'm gonna ask you kate smooth or crunchy well i like both i'm a i'm a big fan of peanut butter in general Mm. um but i I think if i had to choose i would choose crunchy um i really like (laughs) i was about to go into like justifying why i like crunchy peanut butter the texture and you know um no i i i just love peanut butter on on toast on like apples and bananas and in smoothies oh my goodness. and all sorts of stuff yeah it's We're great. very different but i i will say i will say though that i i would choose almond butter if i if i could but almond butter is so much more expensive than peanut butter i know it wasn't the question i'm just <laughs> adding a fun fact while we're here talking about spreads it's pretty good <laughs> yeah <laughs> what so else what about you? marmalade no uh-huh. i don't like marmalade uh, no. yeah uh, for me, and I did say while we were discussing the questions beforehand, I did say I've, I've watched a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm recently because mm-hmm. we just mm-hmm. finished our March break. So I had a lot of downtime. So I'm like extra opinionated, um, about little things in life. Uh, yeah. and for me, uh, one thing that I may have admitted on the podcast and certainly something that I get ridiculed for in my daily life, um, by my friends and even my own wife is I am a very <laughs> picky eater. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking like Anderson Cooper level picky eater. Like I could eat the same thing every day and I would be okay. And what um, would it be? I don't eat for, uh, well, I could eat what question, I actually but... want because I would probably die if I did that. Um, something <laughs> like garlic, you know, uh, long story short, yeah. I have the diet of an eight year old, <laughs> which has come <laughs> to bite me in the butt recently, actually. So um, I'm making changes in my life. Um, mm. But for me, um, it's not so much like a taste thing. It's definitely a texture thing that drives me crazy. Hmm. Um, so there's certain things I just don't eat because it, they, it grosses me out, like the way it feels yeah. in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, so one of those things is crunchy peanut butter. Oh, I really? don't like oh. crunchy peanut butter. No. As a well, child, I hated more it. More for I me. Still... Yeah, you can have it. Yeah. Um, I'm a, yep, smooth peanut butter for me all the way, Nicole. Hmm. <laughs> 
There Both you are go. great, you know? I just, I love to taste yeah. peanut in it, like, like half the little crunch. It's great. What if one of us was allergic? My well, then we would not have any peanut butter at all. Yeah, I we would have, all, no, we wouldn't even have almond butter probably. Mo- yeah, most of the time with nut allergies, sometimes they're specific, but it's, it's greater than just, just like the avoid peanut. in general. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, thank you, Nicole. Uh, yeah, thank you, Nicole. <laughs> and and if you're listening, people, check out Nicole's piece, Peanut Butter Jam. It's like a, I think it's a grade one. Mm-hmm. I'll, we can edit that out if I'm wrong, but it's, yeah, it's a cool little piece. No, I think um, that's correct. Great. So we're kind of alternating between like, serious-ish questions and funny, silly, other non-band related questions. So um, what is the coolest thing you've recorded so far? And I'm assuming that this question was in the context of the podcast because Dylan and Mm -hmm. I definitely have both recorded lots of other interesting, cool things outside of the podcast. But um, in the context of the work that we're doing here, what's one of the coolest things for you, Dylan. Well, for me, I, this was the, the, we had some difficulty coming up with stuff for this. Um, mm-hmm. Just because we've done so many episodes now. This is number 72, um, which is very exciting. But I think for me, the coolest thing that we've recorded on the podcast so far um, was before your time. Uh, whenever <laughs> it was just me. And I got to interview my junior high band director, Peter Gallant. Um, that was a really special one for me. And just, just to have that like forever yeah. is a really cool thing. Um, because he was, well, you know, he was the first person to like really get me started in all of this, not in music, but certainly in, in what I do for my living yeah. <laughs> in my life now. Um, and to talk to him about what I remembered of his pedagogy and have mm-hmm. him explain why he was goofy and why he did the things that he did and I was like, oh, it all makes sense now. And just to hear about his why and how and how that works for him on Prince Edward Island was a really special thing. So that was my coolest bandroom recording. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's just so nice. Uh, any opportunity that we get to have these kinds of like full circle moments or like really meaningful personal moments where we get to um, connect with people in our lives that have made a big impact and then be able to kind of put the spotlight on them. I think that's, that's really special. And I, Mm -hmm. I am having a hard time answering this question because I, (laughs) I genuinely feel like every episode that we've recorded has been really, really cool. Um, I think, and this is the, I'm not trying to just like give a cop out answer, but like, really, this is a, this is a highlight of my life getting to do this. <laughs> and um, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, I'll just mention that I, I think a couple of the episodes we've done with other composers have been incredibly, um, incredibly cool. And to be more mm-hmm. specific, like validating for me and inspiring and just, um, yeah, like to hear from other people who are, working in this field, um, you know, what's their why and how do they work and how do they do what they do? And um, particularly like our Alex Shapiro episode um, will always be one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, I just admire her so much. And I was actually nervous about doing that interview. And that was early on in my podcast 
um, mm-hmm. co-host days. So, um, but you know, I don't typically get nervous to talk to people about this stuff, but I've, I felt nervous going into that because of how cool she is. <laughs> and, um, you know, we talked to John Mackey. That was, that was a pretty cool one. And all of these people also mm-hmm. had amazing bonus episodes, like stories that they shared with us in the yeah. bonus episode. So, you know, I won't Which go I into all of that. you can actually listen to. Yeah, actually, the yeah, the those couple of them definitely um, are public. So that's amazing. And mm-hmm. talking to Jody Blackshaw and her bonus episode was awesome. Um, and then, you know, like getting the opportunity to talk to people like Colin Clark and Jeff Reynolds and people that, you know, were kind of inspiring to us as students. Mm-hmm. And then now we're somewhat of a, like in a colleague kind of a role. Um, yeah. I think those, those moments are really special as well. Um, and then last thought that I have is just any opportunity to amplify somebody else's story. I think it's just a really, mm-hmm. really exciting opportunity that we have to be able to um, provide, you know, a platform for some of these people that maybe, I mean, everybody we've talked to are like, they're well known and well established, but maybe people that are listening that don't know those people personally, don't know as much about them and their backstory. I think it's really, really cool that we get to provide a place for um, people in the music field to just share who they are and um, Mm -hmm. open up and, and all that. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, I, I want that along those those that idea of validation mm-hmm. um i was I, we were talking before and i said uh, yesterday I, I was on a zoom call with with jillian mckay and mark hopkins and we were talking about my potential research for my doc my doctorate project mm-hmm. and and jillian asked me what is the one thing that like commonality of that you have kind of drawn from people on the podcast and i was mm-hmm. like and it, it hit me like right away because i'm going through it right now and I feel, we did a concert a couple of weeks ago and I finally felt like I was myself on the podium. And everyone yeah. we talk to is the when the best music making happens, when the best learning happens, when the best inspiration happens, it's usually when that person is themselves yeah, on the podium totally. and, and or on the podium as a composer, as an educator, as a performer, whatever it is. Yeah. But to, you know, not give a crap about <laughs> what people think and just you be you. In, in yeah. that setting, I feel like that that's probably the main thing. So, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with the, the, the idea of us us learning ourselves and, and being validated has yeah, been a really totally. great thing about this whole journey. And, uh, yeah. and certainly to support other voices has been really great as well. And now a word from our sponsor. It seems like almost every episode we talk about the importance of community. Often maybe our guests bring it up to why they became interested in band. Community is a big part of why many of us do what we do. Absolutely, and that's why I love our new partnership with the Canadian Band Association to share an opportunity for you to be part of a national community of band directors, musicians, and educators. And becoming a member is easy. By joining your provincial band chapter, you automatically become a member of the Canadian Band Association. No matter if you're in British Columbia, Newfoundland and Labrador, or anywhere in between, there is a band association for you. Yes, even my homeland of Prince Edward Island. They started a new one, which is very exciting. Membership benefits include access 
to the Canadian Winds Journal, monthly e-news, national insurance program, national youth band audition discounts for students, access to national awards and musician certificates. Not to mention all the great events your own provincial chapters will hold. Conducting workshops, community band events, reading sessions, workshops, and more. Support band and music education in Canada through supporting the work being done by your local chapter. To learn more about how you can become a member of the Canadian Band Association, visit canadianband.org chapters to find info on how to connect with your provincial chapter. That's canadianband.org chapters to learn how you can be part of the Canadian Band community. Um, and now for something completely different. Um, this question, I'll, I'll mention who this question comes from. This comes from Dr. Malcolm Jones, who is a, um, a fairly recent graduate of Arizona State University. And this, this question popped into our Instagram story, and I truly had no idea what it meant. Um, so apparently, uh, there is this debate going around Um about uh, it was it was triggered by just this random guy on Twitter um, having a, a debate with his friends about are there more wheels in the world or are there more doors in the world? So Malcolm's <laughs> question just said wheels or doors, and I just had no idea what he meant. And then I was scrolling through TikTok as one does, and uh, there James Corden is Fallon. They're all talking about are there more wheels? Are there more doors in the world? So wow. I thought it appropriate to be up with the pop culture because that's what we do here on the Bandroom Podcast. Um, <laughs> wheels or doors? What do you think, Kate? I have never, ever given any consideration to this exactly. before. <laughs> um, but, you know, now that the question is posed, how how would one even determine that? I mean, like every yeah. vehicle has multiple wheels other than I guess like a unicycle or something but like every everything has multiple wheels so my first thought would be like there must be more wheels because uh, you know every car going around every whatever has wheels but then okay every building like think about how many doors are in each building it's not just the front door it's like mm -hmm. within you know most rooms in a house or an office or whatever are gonna have a door too so like maybe more maybe there are more doors <laughs> This and is just I don't know. <laughs> may I, this might tell you the direction that I'm that I I lean. But when we think of a door, like mm -hmm. I think most people just think of like to get into the office that I'm in, that was a door. Yeah. But like if I look around here, there's like cabinets that have doors. That's so it's true. Like we really have to think about the definition of a door and the definition of a wheel. Yeah, because our like you know, the volume knobs, like I guess that's not yeah, really that a wheel. wheel? But it's, I think it might be wheel adjacent, <laughs> but it's not really a wheel. <laughs> Fallon talked about a doorknob being a wheel because you can like rotate it. That's what I mean. It's like it's round and it moves. Like why? <laughs> See, so that's then what are I mean. drawers also like doors? Not really, because you maybe. You but know. you know what makes most of those drawers move sometimes? At least in this wheels. one, that I'm opening right now. Wheels. <laughs> I can see them. Wow. So, and also, every car has doors that's true so maybe they're pretty even i mean because if every like if a if a standard car has four wheels they also have four doors it's like it just it just 
vetoes the whole thing. It cancels itself out. Yeah. Chair I'm sitting in, wheels. Oh, yeah, me um. too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. All this stuff we've never thought about. So yeah. uh, I'm just going to go out there. We don't have to talk about it anymore, but I'm I'm on the side of doors. There's mm-hmm. more doors in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll just pick wheels so that, you know, we're balanced out between so, co-hosts. Yeah, so we don't three, piss yeah. anyone off. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Are you on we Team Dylan or Team We can get t-shirts made, Kate? you know, wheels or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, there you go. Okay. Thank you, Malcolm. Dr. Jones, great question. Great. Great yeah. question. <laughs> Thanks for and the for thought-provoking question. laughs. Yeah. Okay. Yes. A more classic <laughs> question here. Um, what is your favorite piece from the band literature? And this is this is such a big question. And so I'm kind of inclined mm-hmm. to like dislike questions that say, you know, your absolute favorite or best or worst or whatever, because it's just hard to identify those extremes um but maybe just a piece that you pretty consistently Mm -hmm. like or um that you attach to a positive memory or that it like i don't know you can kind of qualify it however however you want but do you have a favorite piece um well this question (laughs) came from a composer that i'm working with currently um so of course it's their piece (laughs) right yeah um (laughs) Uh, sorry, Sarah, it's not, I mean, I, I love your piece, but it's, it's, it's uh, not Sarah Lucas page. If you haven't heard of her, go check her out doing good stuff. Um, but my favorite piece of band literature, I feel like we've answered a similar question on the last time we did a hanging with Dylan and Kate episode. And I really had a comp out answer. Like I just didn't, I didn't answer it. Um, and I've, o- I've always had this issue. I remember the first time I was uh, an assistant conductor for the Canadian Wind Orchestra and Jan Michael Bourgeois asked me, what's your favorite band piece? And I couldn't tell him. And he's like, <laughs> really? What, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And um, he, I think he would agree that, that that's the way he said it whenever <laughs> when he said it to me. So, um, and I was like, you know, I, I just don't have a favorite one. Um, so I, I think my answer to this is it's ever-changing. So right now I have a favorite piece and I assume at some point that piece will be knocked out. Um, And that piece is by Kevin Day um, currently and it's his concerto for wind ensemble. Nice. I just, every single movement I love Mm -hmm. and, and I'm a little biased because we spent a whole week together two weeks ago and he was here and, um, and we fostered our friendship, which (laughs) is now, it's just so strong, Kevin. It's so strong, um, but uh, and there's you know, there's I just I loved it and and I was able to conduct two of the movements, um, uh, a couple Sundays ago at a concert in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it was just one of the highlights of what I've done so far. Um, I love the 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 music that has influenced him and that ha- he shared it with us. And the colors he chooses to use, the way he pushes the musicians, like there's some stuff in there. Like I remember when we we did a recording session that is hopefully coming out soon. And um, the horn part in the first movement is like, so, it's so hard. I yeah. have heard very few schools play it like perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the end of one of the takes, I just turned to him and I said, do you, do you have an ex that played the horn that you just really didn't like? <laughs> Because like this part is crazy. So, yeah. anyway, but that um, currently it's that piece, Kevin Day's Concerto for Wind Ensemble. Um, there's 
a couple of recordings out there on on the YouTube currently, mm-hmm. besides our own recording that's just coming out soon of the Arizona State Wind Ensemble. Um, my favorite one, if you want to go check it out, is the band that actually premiered it, which is the uh, University of Georgia with Jacqueline Hardenberger is the mm-hmm. conductor. Yeah. Um, fantastic interpretation, and I love it. Amazing. How about you, Kate? What is your favorite piece of band literature? Literature. <clears throat> Um, well, I'll just start by saying that I, I like the way that you phrased that, that, you know, it's ever changing. You have a favorite now, the favorite might be different in a month or a year or 10 years or whatever. And I, I think that's a healthy relationship to have with music. I think it's, um, you know, the music that we enjoy listening to or playing or whatever is almost like a time capsule of that moment in our lives, right? Like, oh, at this time of life, I was really into this. I was really, you know, yeah. So I think it's important to recognize that like whatever we say right now is not like the be all end all of, of like who we are as musicians because of what Mm -hmm. we like in this moment. Um, So I'm going to go back in time and answer this question from the perspective of myself as a younger person, because I've, I'm writing this piece right now for the National Youth Band of Canada, and they're celebrating their 30th anniversary, and they commissioned me to write this piece. Well, the CBA um, commissioned me to write this piece. Mm-hmm. And so I've been reflecting a lot on my experience performing in that group when I was younger, and um, there were a couple of experiences that really stood out. And one was playing this piece called Cathedrals by Catherine Southelder. And it, Mm -hmm. I don't even know if I would list it as like my favorite piece or even one of my favorite pieces, but it's one of my favorite musical experiences that I had. And it really changed the way I thought about what was possible within the concert band as a composer, that there was this piece written in the style of much older music, but written by like a pretty current person. And I just hadn't really mm-hmm. thought about that before. And I, th- I think that was um, really good perspective for me to have come into in that moment. And it was also one of the first band pieces by a woman composer um, that I had right. ever played. So I think that was influential for me as well. Um, so that's, that's one that just kind of is attached to a really positive memory for me. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this the last time we did this kind of episode or if I've talked about this before, but one of my all-time favorites is The Hounds of Spring and um, by Alfred Reed, of course. It is a classic. And so, you know, sometimes I Mm -hmm. avoid like choosing classic pieces because it's like, oh, everyone knows these. And like, I feel the pressure Mm -hmm. to choose something that might be new to somebody listening so that I can kind of be in that position of influence. But when it comes down to it, I never, ever get tired of hearing that piece. And maybe some people out there do, um, and that's <laughs> fine. Um, but again, it was also attached to just a super, super influential, positive experience in my formative years um, playing in the mm-hmm. Ontario Provincial Honor Band with our guest conductor, Cynthia Johnston-Turner. And, um, yeah, CJT. Yeah, yeah. And just like, again... The structure of that piece was at the time for me, it was new, like thinking about this kind of inserting a lyrical piece amidst a very energetic, upbeat, um, Mm -hmm. you know, opening and closing section. And um, 
I think back to these things as as I'm in the midst of writing my own music, thinking about like, how right. have I come to, you know, these concepts that I like a lot. So those are two pieces that I liked a lot when I was younger and still, um, I still like to this day. Two great pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. And, um, but if you want a regular podcast answer, something like Grand Partita, go listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, something by Colgrass is like a four. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Holst. Everyone says Holst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. A f- I hope I didn't offend and we anyone. Like those all are all great pieces. Too, you know? yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, but you know, you, I've heard them a couple times. Um, anyway, the next question. There's a couple questions that are very specific to each of us. This next mm-hmm. one is specific to you, Kate. How does Kate get inspiration to write music? Well, I think this could... is from one of my students. Oh, nice. That's great. Um, I have been asked this question a lot and I could easily fill like an entire podcast's length of time talking about this, um, but I'll try to give an abridged version. (laughs) Um, I, I get inspiration from my surroundings, uh, and also from my own lived experiences. So, Um, Those are kind of the two central pillars of where inspiration comes from for me. So my surroundings is, um, you know, that's a succinct way of saying like nature and landscapes and physical places that I've visited, um, but also people that I've had the opportunity to interact with, um, observing interactions in public. Like I love people watching and that kind of thing. Um, This Mm -hmm. could include like world events or um, animals or the seasons or like, you know, basically everything (laughs) um, can kind of be boiled down to like, I'm inspired by my surroundings. It could, it could be anything. Um, And then from within, you know, I think music has always been an important um, tool for me to express myself um, the way that I feel that maybe I'm not able to put into words quite yet, but I can write music about it. Um, or experiences that I am trying to process, whether difficult, challenging experiences or like really wonderful, exciting experiences, I tend to channel all of all of that emotional activity uh, through mm-hmm. music. So music has always just been a really important aspect of how I move through life, <laughs> I think. And I, right. um, I don't go out looking for inspiration. It's just a very organic, natural process for me to kind of draw on the experiences that I've had and the experiences of those around me. Um, Mm -hmm. And then one, one kind of new aspect of things that I'll mention that I, I haven't really spoken about that much um, is just how inspired I am by the concept that what I'm doing has the power to empower other people. So this is something that I I wouldn't have really thought of, you know, at the beginning of my career. Um, but now that there's kind of a, I have a track record, there's a proof of concept of, you know, like I write right. music and other people play it and other people hear it and then they're impacted by that. Um, now mm-hmm. that that is a consistent thing, I can really see that the work that I do is influencing others and not just influencing, but empowering others. There are young people out there in the world that are choosing to 
um, explore musical career paths or study music at the post-secondary level or just maintain a relationship with music, even if it's not a career thing or not an academic thing, that can cite an experience that has something to do with my music. Like, oh, I played your piece in this honor band and that's what really inspired me to, um, you know, make more music more important in my life or mm-hmm. um, I'm starting to write my own music because I've fallen in love with your music and you know those kinds of like that feedback is so meaningful to me that that is itself is a source of inspiration for me mm-hmm. um, to keep doing what I'm doing so wow. yeah I hope I hope that's concise enough there's those are three kind of main um, sources of inspiration for me these days oh, that's great and that yeah. that last point, especially, I really hope um, is part of people's why when they think about what they're doing mm-hmm. <laughs> with their lives, yeah. no matter what it is. But it it is cool, and it's cool to see um, that how that has um, come into your life and and hearing you know because when I was at Midwest, I was basically um, your representative. <laughs> so it's like people <laughs> coming up I'm to sorry. me <laughs> talking. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's fine. I should, I, it's my choice to wear that mask and set the band room <laughs> podcast on it. Yeah. So, um, uh, but no, to hear hear people uh, and how much how excited they are about your music and how it's impacted them is really a cool thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was going to say something else. I oh, know. I guess I, I, the the last point for me also is is like my main why. Yeah. Um, because I think as conductors or even as composers to write a really exciting piece is really exciting but like why um to do a really cool move and to get a cool sound out of a group is cool but why yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, so i would hope that it goes further than just that snapshot of a moment in a concert or whatever and like you said you know people end up exploring music further or it's part of their lives because of something that we've done yeah I think that's just such a meaningful thing to think about and um one Mm -hmm. personal anecdote is that like every once in a while I get messages from music teachers um, who share written responses from their students. So let's say I've done a virtual visit with the class and then the teacher has the students do a written reflection on the experience. And sometimes they send me pictures or they copy and paste um, anonymously, of course, to, to share some of the students' feedback with me. And every time I get something that's like, you know, this is the first composer of color that we've ever had a chance to work mm-hmm. with. And, you know, as a um, student from a South Asian background or as a black student or what it like, you know, just whatever the situation may be, that these students are able to see themselves in some way represented in the professional music world because of an interaction that they've had with me or with another living composer or with a a clinician or an adjudicator someone like that. It just reinforces how important it is um, for all of us to be thinking about how much of an impact it has um, for students to be seeing different kinds of people um, in different kinds of positions and just how much visibility and representation really does make an impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we talk about it all the time, I know, um, but just, you know, in the context of what inspires me, like that really, those kinds of comments do um, push me to continue doing what I'm doing because I know that it is making a difference. So that's that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 
Now, here is a question that is specific to you, Dylan. Um, what is the most difficult piece for you as a conductor that you have ever performed? Okay. Um, I had to think about this one because, because I had two came to mind. One is like pretty standard if you're going to study conducting at the graduate level. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll tell a very quick story about it. My dear colleague, Kristen Zelenak, who I, is, uh, I share an office with here at ASU, um, she just kicked some butt on her master's recital last week. Um, mm -hmm. And she did the Stravinsky octet. And um, I've, I was a very supportive colleague through the process of uh, her rehearsing the octet mm -hmm. and ultimately the performance. But as soon as it was over, I went up to her and I said, now I can tell you out of any piece that I've ever done, and will do again probably that piece stresses me out so much it's like yeah. so much like there's there's doesn't matter you're gonna fall in a hole somewhere someone's gonna miss something um it doesn't it just doesn't matter and um i don't think they'll mind me saying this but jason called gary hill and was talking about the piece it was like gary does it get any easier for with the octet he's like absolutely not <laughs> so, so still anyway so that that one for me is a one that comes to mind it's yeah. a, like it's one of my favorite pieces but it's just like there's always somewhere to, to trip up on a you know some meter change and all that stuff and all the transitions and different tempos and how they're related and all that stuff um but the one that i think actually i is my truly the, one of the hardest pieces that i've conducted is one that probably no one knows um very early in my career as like a professional conductor um I had been asked, not as a professional conductor, to conduct a student opera at Western University in London, Ontario, uh, an opera called Antoinette that mm -hmm. needed a conductor. And someone had th that I had worked with recommended me, and I drove from Toronto to do it. And then it just happened that the head of composition was in the audience and saw me do my thing. And then the following year was Canada 150, so there was a lot of, like, grant money flying around. So they mm -hmm. ended up... Um, having a lot of grant money to do a whole concert of world premieres um, through the cool. PhD students. So the PhD students got actually a commission, like an actual fee yeah. and, and wrote these pieces for, they're like chamber kind of groups. There was, I think there was Erica Rahm was playing violin and there was someone from the Made in Canada ensemble playing piano, Angela Park and, uh, and a couple other really uh, <laughs> like intimidating people. Uh, so I was asked to be the conductor for this. And, um, some of the pieces were like pretty straightforward, but one of the pieces I did, which was one of my favorite ones, I'm not saying you can actually go listen to it if you want. I might link it. Um, it's called One Stock, One Arrow, No Stock, No Arrow by An Andrew Noseworthy, um, who I don't know if he's still there, but at the time was a PhD student in composition at Western. Um, and it involved kind of a, that strange chamber ensemble and, and mezzo soprano um, in it. And it's just like, the rhythms that he wrote are crazy and <laughs> I was, you know, I'm generally an insecure person, but I was truly insecure then <laughs> and uh, I was dealing with like people who are, are much better musicians <laughs> than me and uh, and I had to do this piece in the whole concert. But um, there was, during the concert, um, it was one of those movements, I call one of those moments, sorry, not movements, um, that I call a music music theater moment okay <laughs> where, yeah uh, if anyone's ever done like undergraduate music theater <laughs> music oh, yeah. direction or played in a pit there's always a moment 
where one of the singers like jumps jumps to a completely different section and you just yep. need to go <laughs> B or whatever. Yeah, yeah. call out a bar number um, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I am not throwing The Soprano under the bus here, uh, which would be a great title for a book, I think. Um, the Soprano under the but, bus. <laughs> <yeah>. um, <laughs> but I think it was a team effort. Something happened and I had to do one of those Bs, uh, <laughs> one of those things. And uh, it ended up okay at the end of the concert. Um, the soprano, uh, her name's her name's Anita Krauss. Um, in Canada, she's quite well known, and she's sung with like the who's who of conductors. So she came up to me. She's like, "Oh, Dylan, don't don't worry. I remember I was singing with Dutois in Montreal once, and <laughs> and he 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 messed something up. So don't worry. It happens to the best of them." <laughs> And I was trying like, to make you feel Thank better. You, Anita. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. But it was yeah. your fault. It was your fault. <laughs> I didn't I didn't say that. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. that piece, so Andrew, if you're listening, I'm so glad that we could do it. It was a very meaningful piece. And and I'm I'm not gonna go into what it's about and all that. You can explore it further if you want later. I'll I'll put the um the SoundCloud link there for you to check it out. But it's it's a really powerful awesome. piece. With really um, powerful lyrics and things like that. So that is my most difficult piece. Super cool. And I love that it's a like a a Canadian piece and that that whole story goes along with it. That's great. Also, go check out more of Andrew's music. He's also an excellent electric guitarist and not Mm -hmm. in the way that you probably think, but he's doing a lot of cool things. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's like electronics and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So go check him. Go check out their music. Yeah. Um, the next question is back to a silly one. Um, I feel like most of my answers are silly anyway, but um, <laughs> this is also from Nicole Puno. She gave us three questions. <laughs> uh, and this one is, tell us the most embarrassing story you have. I feel like I might have typed it out incorrectly. I thought it was a recent one, but let's just go <laughs> with the most embarrassing story you have that you are okay. willing to tell publicly. I was going to say uh, – most of the stories that come to mind immediately are things that like I won't share here. Um, I'll share with you, Dylan, but not not in a, a recording yes. type of a situation or they're like inappropriate things or things involving other people that anyway, yeah. Um, but I again, going back in time a little bit, I have a pretty embarrassing story um, from a band trip. And I know everyone here likes the band, band trips gone wrong kind of stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I was a high school student and my, my school had this incredible opportunity to travel to China um, during the Beijing Olympics um, year. And there was some sort of music festival that went along with, um, with the Olympics and stuff. So um, our ensembles went and it was a, really once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, there was a performance like at the Great Wall of China, which just is like mind blowing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but the embarrassing part of this story is that I got lost. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know why I laughed. I don't know why I laughed. <laughs> because you can imagine uh, me running around like a, as a lost person in Beijing uh, the bus, the tour bus had left without me (laughs) and I, yeah, I had to run around and like try to talk to people, um, that, 
you know, we didn't speak the same language and I had to try to figure out like where the heck to go. And, um, it was actually like, I mean, it's, it's an embarrassing story. It's also maybe a slightly traumatic story, but, um, mostly it's funny because as it turns out, it was totally my fault. Um, I thought like, oh, the bus left without me and I couldn't believe it. Um, but I had gone to the wrong place. I like, I went to the wrong door or something like that. And, uh, so yeah, I got lost. I got lost in China and, um, I, I did get reunited <laughs> with everybody. You made it back. You're not, made it you're back. not zooming in from China right now. Nope. <laughs> I, I did make it. Everything's fine. Um, but at our music, um, awards banquet that we had that year, you know, typical award, like performer of the year and like most improved and, um, you know, stuff like that. Um, they, yeah. they made like, uh, got lost on a band trip award to present to me. Nice. <laughs> nice. We did those when I was in junior high and Peter Gallant would call them the dork awards. I don't yeah. think you could do it anymore, but <laughs> yeah, it was, it was yeah, very much pretty funny. <laughs> very much like that. Um, yeah. So there's, there's one, one wow. of many, many embarrassing stories. Um, but just yeah, kind well, of a fun one that I don't think I've told before. That stuff, so. that stuff always scares me. It's like, before I was adjudicating, I worked for a band trip company mm-hmm. and we're, we're sponsored by a band trip company right now. So I won't say the name of the one that I used yeah. to work for, <laughs> um, but I was the tour coordinator. So I basically had to tell people when to get on and off the bus. Mm-hmm. And um, that was my biggest fear is like, is little Timmy back there somewhere yep. at the mall yep. <laughs> forever living on that bench? And when it know. happens so far away from home too, and in a, a situation where like, you know, just going up to like a, a a front desk of somewhere and asking a question, but like, you know, having the language barrier and stuff like it just that's maybe right. just kind of a funny, oh embarrassing gosh. story for me. But for for the people organizing that this this would count as some sort of like very stressful uh, situation to mm-hmm. be in. But it all worked out. <laughs> so what's one of there yours? You um, well. Uh, and also just to, to to correct myself, which I, I already kind of admitted to being wrong. I did write down the question wrong. It is a recent story. But oh. I, I, th- I don't really have any like – I don't have any recent ones. So let's just – Mine was super we'll not recent. That was like 2008 <laughs> yeah. or something. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, nor, nor is mine. So and I, I, I have told the story on the podcast, but I believe it was a bonus episode. So now you're going to mm. get this embarrassing story. Making it public. And I have <laughs> – yeah, I have a like I have a lot of embarrassing stories, and everyone knows how public I am with my embarrassing stories. <laughs> um, so this is one of my favorites, and uh, it's actually two, involving the same person, strangely enough. Um, but it involves pants. Um, as a conductor, pants are a very important thing. <laughs> essential, because, even. Um, we, yeah, very essential. Yeah, because we don't face. We don't face the audience most of the time. So one time um, when I was doing my master's, um, there's a great organization called the Hannaford Youth Brass Program. And it's run by Anita McAllister and um, assisted now by Denise Simpson. But there was one year that Denise was in, uh, I think she was in England mm-hmm. doing some teaching. So I was the program assistant for that year, which was really great. And I, I, every Saturday got to go rehearse the little kiddos and work with the youth band, which is kind of advanced high school, uh, university, even up into grad school students. Um, and it was before one of those concerts, um, I ripped my pants. 
Like, and I, it was one of those moments where I hated carrying stuff. So I just wore them. So yeah. I was wearing the pants that I ripped already. And um, luckily, we are downtown Toronto on Bloor Street. So there's a great choice of what kind of pants you can get at any <laughs> store down like right close to the venue mm-hmm. we were at, that church, Church the Redeemer, I think it's called. Yeah. And um, so I ran to an H&M. The basically the Kleenex of all clothing. It just <laughs> it doesn't really last that long. Yeah. Um, but anyway, went to an H and M, ran into the dressing room, had two pairs of pants because I wasn't quite sure which ones would fit. Um, one of them fit perfectly, and they were great. The other ones were literally like leggings. Like that's how tight they were. They were so tight. Like yeah. they closed, you know. Yeah, yeah. But they were they were tight. Yeah. And anyway, a big rush. I run out. I grab the pants, go pay for them, run back to the church. The concert's about to start. Go down into the church bathroom, put the pants on. Got the wrong pants. <laughs> no. I have the legging <laughs> pants. And um, I have no choice but to wear these pants <laughs> and do the concert. Like, I have no other choice. Yeah. So anyway, I have never, as a, as a man, I have never gotten any kind of uh, comments on my butt. <laughs> But I had to conduct like three different bands on this concert with these really tight pants and no. like, you know, the suit jacket doesn't cover the cheeks. No, no. So it's like. This wasn't like a coattails yeah, kind my, of a situation. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, that would have fixed it. Yeah. Um, but no, I had like, I remember John Jessavella who ran the booking office at the University of Toronto as well as taught trombone and chamber music. He, he came up to me and was like, Dylan, I didn't know you were Italian. <laughs> all of these things and there's a couple other people and there are other comments that i can't say on this mm-hmm. podcast yep. um but anyway that imagine. was that and the, <laughs> and then very quickly there was another moment where i was with ray tizard who is the founder of the hannaford street silver band that whole like the the parent organization of mm-hmm. in which the youth band belongs to um and he used to be principal trumpet of the national ballet of canada and now he's the librarian and uh, anyway i was helping him move some donation uh, things for a raffle and I had like a Yamaha keyboard in my hands I said Yamaha because I hope they're listening um <laughs> so I was holding this keyboard and um I went for one of the you know whenever you your hands are full and you you go to kick um the button to open the door yeah went yeah. for one of those rip right up the crotch right up the crotch <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like with one of my childhood heroes who I've listened mm-hmm. to on CDs and everything yeah like oh this is great yeah anyway there you go i wonder what percentage of your embarrassing stories have something to do with pants and or like a clothing mishap do i have another one i don't know i've just i think i do have another one i feel like i've heard other ones and anyway it's just it's a thing that happens sometimes yeah so well thank you for sharing those very so thank you once again nicole pants yes for that great question (laughs) awesome (laughs) Um, okay, bringing it back moving. to oh, that's yeah, not my question. to reality. Um, okay, so <laughs> uh, this question, um, I guess we can go in a number of directions, but it's what is your origin story? Um, mm-hmm. And in brackets, instrument or composing or conducting. Um, so I guess you can take that in, yeah, in whatever direction you would like. Uh, just pick an aspect of you know, your origin story, um, and go from there. Hmm. Yeah. And this comes from our dear friend, Ruth Denton. Nice. Thank you, Ruth, Hi, for Ruth. this question. Yeah. 
Um, as does the next one, actually. But anyway, um, I think I, I've talked about how I've gotten into music on the podcast before. So I'm going to, yeah. I'll talk about conducting because it's kind yeah, of cool. interesting, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk, I won't give you my whole story, but how it started, it, how it starts, I always find very interesting for people. Um, so conducting was one of actually the first things I did in like, not in the, a very deep and meaningful sense, but um, I remember when I was a grade six student, which is kind of the year before you start band in Prince Edward Island, um, the schools would, this one school in particular, Peter Glantz, Summerside Intermediate, they would do a little tour to each of the elementary schools and kind of rah, rah, band, you should <laughs> test into the band program and all this stuff. So they came to my school and um, asked, he's like, make sure everyone pays attention during the concert because I'm going to ask some questions at the end and there'll be some opportunities for people to do things. So he asked a question. I ended up getting it right. And what I got to do was conduct the band. So he like Pretty cool prize. He took my little arm. Yeah, he took my little arm and we I think we conducted tequila. And that explains <laughs> a lot so about funny. how I am now also. But uh, <laughs> we did we uh we did tequila and I and I just like I'll never forget that moment. Um but yeah, it, you know, I I it wasn't it didn't really mean like I didn't know I was going to be a conductor at that yeah, moment. Yeah. But um, in high school, I, I certainly did because um, my teacher was Mark Ramsey. And I've said this n- numerous times, but Mark was is an amazing conductor. And even at that in grade 10, like I was like just like watching him move was yeah. an amazing thing to see. Yeah. It was just so smooth, <laughs> mm-hmm. so thoughtful. And now Mark is Dr. Mark Ramsey and he's the head of choral studies at Western University in London, Ontario. Um, so I had a great first <laughs> conducting teacher, um, but he let me do lots of stuff while I was in high school. And I know people poo-poo on this piece all the time. <laughs> um, I can't because she she lives here. Um, but the first piece I ever, like truly ever conducted was Anne McGinty's Red Balloon. Mm. And um, yeah, and I yeah. remember that very well. I kind of yeah. like the piece. But every time I mention it, people are like, oh, it's not a good piece. Because she lives like uh, an hour north of where I am. Oh, Sc- cool. And she lives in Scottsdale. That. Yeah. As well as Ron Nelson. Hmm. He lives there too. Rocky That's Point cool. Holiday. Yeah. Right up the street. Anyway, um, yes. so then um, that was kind of how that – that was kind of the first origin moment. Yeah. Uh, that I was like, oh, this – I really like this. Yeah. But really didn't think about it when I was in university. Had lots of opportunity, and then truly the first time I was like, "That's what I want to do," is whenever I worked with Jillian McKay. Yeah, and um, and saw how she communicated, how 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 much fun she had on the podium, and all that stuff, and and how people reacted <laughs> to the way she taught. Yeah, because um, I now that I've worked with a lot of different teachers, I know like she is she is as we mentioned before herself yeah. on the podium, and I think I saw that, and I said, "I want." I want that. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the first moment and I haven't looked back since. So Yeah, there you go. There you go. I, I love that story of just, because I, I know we talked about this before, like you, you know, your mm-hmm. first um, opportunity to, you know, kind of fake conduct um, back in elementary school, but like how, and I, I, I use this word all the time, but like how empowering that would be to just kind of feel like you were part of something, you know, and for that, Teacher to yeah. give a kid that opportunity um, that just sets such a good example and and look where you are now so that's that's super cool. I'm also like shocked that I actually did it because yeah. as much as like people know me as the guy who speaks really well at concerts and stuff because yeah. he has a podcast <laughs> probably um, <laughs> like I was not I was not that student in junior high like yeah. I was the first kid in junior high to have a mustache I had a <laughs> unibrow uh, I had bad dandruff 
like yeah. my hair wasn't styled like it is now. It was yeah. just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was a horribly awkward person. Mm-hmm. So to, I can't believe I even got up in front. But thank you, Peter Gallant, for um, yeah, for starting me on this path. Maybe like all the more reason for you to for you people to do might that. argue that I'm still well, awkward. That's okay. I don't know. I don't. I don't think you're awkward now. Um, but I also think that it's. We're okay gonna be a little to crazy to make that. it in this biz. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. Like so. So many of us are, like, when we look back at our lives, it's like, oh, like I always felt, kind of like, a weirdo compared to the people around me. Yeah. But like now we're doing these really unique kind of careers. So I, I think it's almost necessary. We found our in tribe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we found found a path. Um, but let I want to know about your origin story. Let's. And I feel, well, you've definitely told me, but let's go composing. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, yeah, like so much of this, like where everything began is, I've I've definitely talked about this publicly in a lot of different ways, but I'm going to go like way back and access a very early memory. Um, so when I was like a, I don't know, a toddler, like really, really young, three years old kind of thing, um, I had this cassette tape. Um, that just, it had all these like classical music selections. Um, and I honestly, I don't even remember what they were, but it was like a tape that was meant for children, you know, and it was narrated by a kid and like a slightly older kid, but it was like, you know, a young, a young person introducing each piece, um, saying the name of the piece and the name of the composer and gave some facts about the piece or the composer or told a story, even if it was kind of a fake story, like they like a made up a mm-hmm. story to go along with the piece just to help, you know, the really young listeners be able to relate to the music or whatever it was. And so I was obsessed with this collection of music and I basically like begged my parents to put it on constantly. Like if there was ever not music on mm-hmm. in the house, I, that was what I asked for. And uh, that included or progressed into Peter and the Wolf. And that was where it all began in my association with storytelling and music and specifically like mm-hmm. animals and music. Because from then on, I don't know, I just got it in my head that like music is meant to tell stories and all of these different sounds can represent all of the things around me. (laughs) And so I started writing all these, like I say writing all these pieces of music in like big air quotes because it's, you know, none of it was actual written down music or anything, but I, I like made up these stories about animals and I made up my own music notation system. I created like a legend on a little piece of paper that was like, when I draw a circle, it means this. And when I have this wavy line, it means this and whatever. And like, Mm -hmm. no one else would have been able to read it, but I knew what it meant. And yeah, it was, it was all about animals. And, um, to this day, you know, now I'm still, I'm still writing about animals and nature and all that stuff. talking about birds. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, um, although, you know, I always say I don't, I don't come from a musical family. Like my my parents are not musicians, but I I have to give them a lot of credit for encouraging my interest right mm-hmm. from the beginning and like playing those 
cassettes and then eventually CDs like over and over and over again. I would wear them out and then they had to go to the store and replace them because I would listen to them over and over and over again. And Mm -hmm. so this is maybe a bit of a different take on origin story because I I have tons of experiences um, working with incredibly influential people and mentors and inspiring moments and all that stuff. But just when I really think about like what's at the core of it is I was inspired from like as long as far back as I can remember um, that mm-hmm. that music and storytelling kind of went together. Um, so that's kind of where it all started for me. That's very cool. Yeah. And it, you know what it makes me think of? I think about it a lot. And I, I mentioned how awkward I was as a junior high student, but there's a time before that where I think, I think most children are like this, but um, there's like a level of fearlessness yeah. when it comes to ex- curiosity. Yeah, totally. Um, and like that it, at some point in our lives gets lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that, when I hear about like your notation system, yeah. <laughs> like, n- like to think now, like would Kate Nishimura right now come up with like a, a new form <laughs> of notation? Probably not. Definitely um, not. But that's because I, I've learned, you know, the existing ones that are much more consistent, make a whole lot more sense and other yeah. people can read it. So I'm able to make money off of there the fact go. that other people can read the music now. Um, but yeah. It, I used I used to do the same thing. Uh, I was obsessed with, well, trumpet players, but Wynton Marsalis mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah. And he had like a pretty approachable CD that came out. I can't remember the Magic Hour it was called actually. Yeah. Um, and it had a tune on it called Big Fat Hen. <laughs> and I like transcribed it as a student, <laughs> but it yeah. was like A and then an arrow pointing up. Yeah. <laughs> like yep. some squiggles. And I totally. was just like, I had no oh, idea yeah. how to write it out. Yeah. Like we make our own like languages as children right and like i heard somewhere i don't i don't know what the quote was or who it came from or anything but some something that was just like artists are just kind of people who never let go of that childhood curiosity um mm-hmm. that we're we're still we're in adult bodies now but we're still operating with this sense of like anything can be anything you know just the way like a lot of kids <sighs> kind of think um so i i like to think about that so, listener, let's try to get back there. Let's all try <laughs> to get back to that point in our lives where uh-huh. we could do anything. We could try anything. Um, very exciting. Yeah. Uh, next question, we're back to silly. Uh, well, it could be silly. It could be very strange. It also comes from <laughs> Ruth Denton. Um, this is, <laughs> what is the weirdest thing you've seen on the TTC? And for those of you that are not from Toronto, or have lived in Toronto, such as Kate and I. Um, the TTC is the Toronto Transit Commission, which is our our subway, our buses, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which um, Kate and I, I think, probably exclusively, that was kind of our form of travel through yeah. the city. So, oh, yeah. um, for a number of years. <laughs> so, yeah. Kate, what's the weirdest thing you've seen on the TTC? Um, it's I've seen I've seen it all. I mean, I like I. I think I I commuted um, on the TTC uh, pretty much daily for Mm -hmm. like over a decade. So there was there was lots, lots of things. Um, Just thinking of, I don't know, interesting stories. One time I broke up a fight. um, Hey. And uh, that's I think that's the only time I've really, really done that. But it was like it was just there weren't that many people around and. The people who were around were like everyone kind of had headphones in. You know, it's the it's the kind of typical like 
you get on the subway and you're in your own world, you know, mm. people are reading the paper on their phones or whatever. And like, no one was really paying attention. Right. Um, but I was like a very, very close witness to the situation. And I was like, this is not going to fly. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but this oh is not good. <laughs> so I, I got, yeah, got up and got in between people. And it was like a very, very tense, um, moment. Right. Uh, very strange, <laughs> but yeah, I just like, when I was a kid, I, I've, you know, had a pretty ingrained in my mind that like being a bystander is a really bad thing. Like if you see a bad thing happening, you have to do something about it. <laughs> and wow. uh, so I, yeah, I jumped, jumped into action. That was a weird, a weird uh, You should come moment. up with like a superhero name for you or something. I don't but- know. It was a one-time thing. And it was really like, I'd like to think that anybody would like that. It Like if, if, you know, it's if a good anyone else saw it's really like true, someone though. else being hurt by like, it just, I don't know. I don't, I think that's. Well, what if the person really deserved it? I mean, yeah, I guess you could, like, Even I don't then, know the context. I but don't know. Either way, I was like, this shouldn't be happening here. <laughs> yeah, one thing I want, because I know lots of people know you and have, like, maybe they 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 follow you on social media mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. But, like, and I don't, I don't think you'll mind me saying this, but we actually saw each other in person mm-hmm. for the first time in, like, yeah. two years. I know. Like, last week <laughs> it or the week been before because I was... Yeah. I had to travel to Canada and there was an opportunity on my layover. Mm-hmm. So you and your fantastic fiance came and, and, and uh, visited me in my hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're like, you're small. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. Like, uh, and I forgot. <laughs> yeah. People, people and, um, tend to forget that. Because I've only seen that. your torso for I know. And I, I, I don't know. I always just say that my personality makes up for my lack of height. Like, you know, you don't notice. Because I have such a presence. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. Maybe yeah. on the TTC, your personality made you like bigger. Yeah, I like, don't know. Oh, hell, I'm not. I'm not doing this. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, the the other thing that I'll mention about the TTC is that one time I was, um, I don't really know what prompted me to do this, but I just thought like, what what would it be like to go like all the way from one end of the streetcar, oh, no. all the way to the other oh, streetcar? Okay. Yeah, the Queen Streetcar Five Hundred One. Um, and because I, I normally my commute was just like a little section of it. And I was like, I'm going to mm-hmm. start at the end and I'm going to go all the way. And so then I did that with all the different subway lines because I wanted to like oh say gosh. that I, not on the same day. Um, but I, I wanted oh, okay. to like say that I had had like traveled the entire system. Um, mm-hmm. And so I saw lots of weird stuff um, wow. during my time exploring. Yeah. Anyway, do you have any uh, weird stories um, from your experiences? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is I, um, I think recently maybe it's because I'm here, not to complain about palm trees and it being summer every day, but um, I like I miss Toronto like a yeah. lot, mm-hmm. and um, for some reason, like I miss the TTC, <laughs> and I know it's gross yeah. and all that stuff, and like, no, it's like I don't a know what staple it's like of Toronto life, I think. Yeah, yeah, but I do miss it. I miss like the St. Clair streetcar that I used yeah. to take all the time, mm-hmm. uh, all that stuff. Um, Spadina. Yep. It was kind of the last area I lived as a single, a single man. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I was thinking about this, and there's, as you've mentioned, a lot of obscene things. Yeah. Oh yeah. That you can just come up with in your own imagination. That you can pretty much like bet fill that in the seen. blanks. It it yeah. has happened for sure. Yeah. 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 Like above PG thirteen. That's yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's certainly all that stuff, and mine's more of a generic thing, um, and it comes to like. You know, maybe it's a full circle kind of thing uh, at the beginning of a conversation, just like not caring what people think 
mm-hmm. and how far that goes with certain people. Oh yeah, <laughs> and like clipping your toenails. Oh, it's the on worst. The yeah, that's not like that stuff. That was weird. Yeah, or that's just definitely like weird. Picking at things and like yeah, just that kind of stuff. And also like now thinking about it, um, like in in our new um kind of pandemic times mm-hmm. uh like you were like opening wounds and like clipping things and yeah, the, that's the, gross. The, the germs could get in there yeah and all that stuff anyway that's all i have for the ttc yeah um yeah. it is a very reliable system i will say that definitely for our listener yeah. who's yeah. not from canada and has yeah. experienced the toronto transit commission but yeah I, I really i think it's very efficient it's a good subway system good transit system yep okay we're we're at the end. This is the last question. Sadly, this has been a, a wild ride of, you know, lots of different <laughs> topics. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, okay, we're going to we're going to finish it off with a, a nice, um, deep, reflective question. If for some reason you couldn't be in the music field, what would you do for a living? And we actually got this question several times like worded slightly differently three three times yeah um but i i think that just shows well and this is what i i was saying to dylan earlier that i i think this goes to show how much people have been reflecting throughout the pandemic on like um you know the public perception of of music and um just the arts in general um and the stability of these kinds of careers you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people throughout this time have had to kind of abandon what they had been doing and 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 start something else or whatever. So maybe this is just kind of top of mind. Uh, luckily, we're both still doing musical things, um, but a lot mm-hmm. of people have had to pivot. So it's it's definitely kind of worth thinking about. So what would you be doing if not music related things? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, and I think like for me, like I'm not, I am working, but I'm not because I'm a student again. Yeah. So I'm I'm very lucky just to address that. Like right now, I had I had some good timing <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and location yep. that I went to ended up working out um, pretty well. But I think about this often, especially in very stressful moments um, during a career or during study. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have a terminal degree. Um, I always joke with my colleague Kristen. I'm just like, you want to? You just want to become an accountant? You want to <laughs> just go do that? Yeah. Because like I'm, I'm t- I get tired of dealing with people's emotions when I yeah. have my own and all these things. But you know, I'm always reminded of why we do what we do. But uh, it's a question that I ask myself a lot. And I think um, what I would do is actually design, because yeah. the only other thing I'm good at, besides, um, I guess, music stuff, is like you know, designing, whatever, if it's the Bandroom podcast logo or if it's a poster or if it's coming up with an idea and making, hopefully making something look reasonably good and creative. Um, I love that kind of work. And it run that, I don't have music in my family very much, but the design aspect, it, 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 um, it's very strong. Mm. Um, and, uh, I guess I, I could say it, but the reason I was in Canada was because my grandmother had passed away and I was going home for the funeral. But that woman, like, Every time I would go over her house, she had she was making something. She was always drawing, mm-hmm. painting, woodworking. Yeah. Um, same thing with her son, my uh, my uncle Jason. Um, he was a carpenter, but he also did that. And obviously, my mom, uh, my mom was an interior decorator. Um, so there was a lot of stuff there. And then on my dad's side, it was like um, 
my grandfather in Toronto, Emmett Maddox, if you ever need some custom picture framing, <laughs> Emmett Maddox custom picture framing, happens to be one of, he's a master in his field. Like he's at the top of his field, which I didn't know. Um, but my dad growing up would handle like Picassos and everything, like with his own hands. Wow. Like, he had major works of art going through. And my own grandfather was the like friends with some of the group of seven. And, no uh, way. That's and, so cool. And some, of, yeah, and some of his friends were famous artists and there's paintings of my grandfather and it's like it's crazy wow um so certainly all that kind of had a great impact on my yeah on on what i would do if i was not (laughs) in music yeah um i sorry that's a long answer but you know just something that's cool probably no one knows yeah and like Um, specifically graphic design i guess is kind of what you're like what you're interested in right but yeah i'm not a very good drawer like (laughs) like my wife knows that i basically have one kind of face that i can draw <laughs> you know <laughs> like, i just remembered um the very very beginning of the pandemic the four of us like the us two and our partners mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. played some sort of drawing like online virtual oh. drawing game thing <laughs> drawful um, yeah yeah and <laughs> it was it was drawful it was uh <laughs> None of us actually. Well, Kristen was was pretty good, um, but I My feel like wife, the rest of us I, were not very good at drawing uh, anything. <laughs> well, like even, and I and I hope there's people that are, are still listening. First of all, um, <laughs> but also, um, if you've played Drawful, it's like on your phone or an iPad yeah. or something like that. Or if you really like want to challenge your laptop, yeah. Um, but it doesn't seem to matter the medium for my wife. Mm. It's like really good. Yeah. Like it's really good. Yeah. I don't know how she And every time it. she posts something, I'm like shocked. <laughs> like, like, did you copy and paste that from somewhere? Like, yeah. how did you do that? Yeah. Anyway, there you go. But I just yeah. have my stupid little cartoon eyes and <laughs> things. <laughs> um, anyway. Okay. If you, Kate Nishimura, were not a musical person. Mm-hmm. What would you what would you do with your life? Yeah, um, this is something I've thought about quite a bit as well. Um, and I don't think this will come as a surprise to anyone who knows me. Um, but it would be definitely something within the field of ecology. No. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely like something nature related. Um, I think mm-hmm. that is still kind of the most important um aspect of my life outside of music and also within the music that I make, obviously. So um, I would love to be uh, somebody working in the education department of like a park. So, you know, when you visit a provincial Mm -hmm. park or a national park or something like that, and there's um, a person who works at the visitor center and is prepared to educate visitors on like the different trails or the different animals that you can go out and see or help with tree identification or um, foraging for mushrooms and like teaching kids about like how to be able to identify different things. Um, I just honestly, like, I don't even think this is like, oh, if I wasn't doing music, what would I do? Like, this is still something that I think I would want to do. Like if I can make room for this in my life somehow in the future, I'm only 30. There's lots of time. Like this is I just I'm I'm so passionate about uh, bringing people into the world of nature mm. and um, strengthening their relationship with their surroundings and stuff. So I, I yeah I think as much as that is an important part of like what I do and why um, as a musician I think even just taking music out of it that would still just be uh, right. a really um, 
genuine passion of mine if I had a career like that. I used to be in like girl guides when I was young. And so I have that kind yeah, of... Yeah, I was in beavers. Yeah, <laughs> beavers. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> but I would love to, you know, it's be like involved with something scouts, like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I know. Um, yeah, so that that's what it would be, okay. I think. I would love to do something like that. Wow, that's yeah. that's that's perfect. That's yeah. perfect. Because it's still and kind like, of teaching related, little, like, you know. Parks Canada yeah. outfit. Exactly, <laughs> my little ranger, ranger Kate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe a little hat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would yeah. be fun. Yeah. Well, there you go. And I think this is something that I know you're like, can I squeeze it into my life now? I wouldn't try, but I feel like when you get close to retirement age, certainly <laughs> volunteer Kate, I think, should make an appearance. Yeah, I think so too. If there's still trees. Yeah, at that I point. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it went dark. It went dark. Yeah. Um, well, there you go, uh, listener. Thank you so much for hanging in there. For out. anyone who's yeah. with us now at around the hour 30 mark. <laughs> <laughs> we like to talk, um, clearly. We like each other, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but no, I always, I'm, I'm sure this will not be the last of these episodes. Um, uh, they're always some of my favorites to do and some of the easiest to do. Yeah. I'm um, not on a like, um, logistics level, but on a just talking <laughs> level, mm -hmm. yeah. um, they're always fun. So thank you, Kate. Um, happy one year co-host anniversary Yay. to you. Oh, thank and you. Yay. Thank you for initiating this whole project and the collaboration. It's just been wonderful and Thank you listeners for the, the fun questions yeah. and for listening to us ramble on and for motivating us to keep doing what we are doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you for giving me a reason to get out of bed today. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and we hope that you tune in to the next Bandroom podcast. Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the band room podcast, give us a rating and a review and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider becoming part of our Patreon community where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet, sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, where your comment might be featured on a future episode of BRP. Our theme music is Skyline, composed by EKR Hamill and performed by Dr. Gillian McKay and the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. Thank you.